Hello and welcome to episode three of Shark Live Royal's uh, look at I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. We're reading through the book and we're giving you basically a page-by-page guide as we do every week. And uh, this is our book for this month. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And Dave, we're entering the final stretch of I Am Legend. We've gone through 16 chapters already and now this will be chapters 17 through to 21. And of course, you get you get your little bonus comparisons with the film, I Am Legend, and uh, a few cheeky reviews from uh, people who listen and a few uh, specially sourced from around the internet as well. Gotta love a bit of that. I do. I, this is rapidly becoming my favourite bit of doing a book. I love reading the books. I love talking about the books. But then going out and finding out what people on the internet have said about the books is hilarious. <laughs> Hopefully today will be no exception. <laughs> uh, but let, let, let's get let's get straight straight into it with uh, chapter seventeen. So when we last left, Mister Robert Neville, uh, he was no longer alone. He'd met this woman who'd been wandering around outside in the daytime when all the vampires were were away and obviously sleeping and this chapter 17 is is basically she's in the house and he's getting to know her and trying to work out whether she's legit is she is she human or is she some kind of weird mutated vampire super vampire yeah it's basically this discussion evening discussion which is sort of one part getting to know your charts and two parts just downright interrogation <laughs> yeah it, it's it continues the weird vibe that we kind of came across last week didn't we where it's sort of like on the one hand robert neville is clearly desperate for human connection and on the other hand he's being the creepiest motherfucker imaginable in dealing with this new social situation for, perhaps <laughs> for excusable reasons you know he hasn't spoken to another human being for three years but still He's locked her in a bedroom. He's gone. He's gone quiet for five minutes. Then looked up, stared her in the face, and gone. Can I have a sample of your blood? <laughs> I think anybody could be forgiven at this point for being a little bit off. Yeah. Now she um, she accepts the blood test offer later on during this chapter. Now, of course, we're reading to the end of the book today, so we can also discuss what happens later on. Mm. Now, it turns out, in a couple of chapters' time, that she is, in fact, infected. And um, <gasps> and and so his suspicions are actually... He's actually right to be suspicious. At what point did you start to sus- suspect yourself about, about this woman? I'll level with you. It was the moment where she hit him over the head with a mallet. <laughs> which is great and it's very similar to what I thought and uh, and I think it's because the writer does such a good job of convincing you just how paranoid Robert Neville is he is so it puts he, you yeah. in that mindset doesn't it to think he's being paranoid because we know that's what he's like yeah very much but it, it's that old gag isn't it from the, from the hippie era you know just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you um, yeah, you know, yeah. And, it, and it very much turns out to be that. But I and I and you know, the other thing of it is like you really don't want it to be true. You know, what he brings you to when he's writing this, Matheson, is this point where you're just absolutely desperate for there to be this kind of redemptive moment of human connection. And mm. you know, the fact that it doesn't, it you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and is is very good, like in terms of what he wants to say with the book, but. As a reader, 
I was just like, I suppose I clocked it in the little sequence before she just about before she hits him over the head because it all starts going a little bit like a, a scene where it's all going to go wrong, like in like oh man I can't say that hell. Uh, there's a certain scene in Game of Thrones <laughs> to which I refer, which you know extremely well what it is, where like it kind of gets you in its tractor beam, and you know <laughs> that this just can't possibly end well, and and it's this sense of foreboding, even though the whole time you read it, you are like banging your fists against the walls and demanding that it go the way you want it to go, you know, um, and and I kind of felt like it was like. It was very much like that, um, but yeah. and, I, and I think I deserve extra shark liver oil points there for almost giving spoilers to something which other people might have read and then <laughs> tap dancing around it. Yeah, congratulations! Excellent okay. self censorship. Thank you very much. That it's a, it's a skill. It's a skill. Yeah, uh, it's it's funny because you really get the impression here with Robert Neville that he's he's almost treading water and, and almost drowning in this sort of sea of uh, going insane and sea of insanity anyway mm. because he he does kind of want her to be okay but also he fears that he, he, there's this bit where he in this chapter where he thinks how frightening it would be if she does turn out to be okay and he has to stop his routines and the solitude he's used to and try to actually build a life with her yeah and he thinks that's that's even almost even more terrifying than than her being infected and at one point he he genuinely just thinks to himself maybe he should just kill her now and yeah. that is for me the bits the sort of if we if we go back to the analogy of him trying to tread water the bits where he's sort of falling going under and then breaks to the surface again as he realizes maybe that's not the course of action to take Absolutely. at this moment in time at least yeah 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 and it's but it, i mean but the fact that that seems a plausible thing to do i think is just another thing about how well written this book is because you know you you experience deeply conflicting emotions where half of you is like yeah, that's probably a good idea. And you're horrified at yourself for thinking that. And the other half of you is like, no, don't do it. She could be a friend. And yeah. and you experience these like wildly divergent emotions in parallel, or I did anyway. I just, you know, just great stuff. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, and this interrogation is going both ways. He's trying to find out as much as he can about her. But at the same time, she's asking a lot of pointed questions to him about how much he knows about this disease from his research and he goes through things like we, we find out more about the crosses because he says they're not always effective mm. and one of the experiments he it turns out he's done not while we've been with him is he's he's taken ben cortman into the house at one point and shown him a cross and cortman's basically laughed at it mm. and then when he's shown him a, a copy of the torah cortman's reacted in horror and fear because he's Jewish, and so he yeah. he's tying this again, this psychological side of things to say, you you know that a vampire is only afraid of a cross if if that was the religion that he he followed when or he or she followed when when they were alive. Yeah. Um, also, he, he speculates about his immunity, saying that he was bitten by a bat when he was sort of out of the country, uh... and he wonders whether that gave him some it was sort of like when you when you get a vaccination he was given enough of the uh, enough of this sort of disease to make him fight it off but not enough for it to take over his body so now he's immune yeah well i actually find that very <clears throat> quite quite convincing as a thing 
Like I think Matheson must have lived in a sort of in a, in some sort of tropical environment because I've actually got a couple of friends who have had like drive-by bitings from bats um, right. whilst living in tropical places, and it's 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 this really weird total pain in the ass because when it happens, you basically have to stop everything and go to the hospital in case the bat had rabies because that's how you get rabies. So like mm. you so it, like once or twice it's just been you sort of walking along the road and then somebody next to me has gone oh fuck up shit all right let's go to the hospital and it's just a really weird thing where like they could be perfectly fine but the one thing you don't want to do is leave leave rabies to get bedded in no so so i mean i when i read that do we actually had the very much the ring of truth to it for me Hmm. yeah uh one of the clues that she is uh not all she seems i suppose when you read this back again is he talks about how when he kills the dead zom- the dead vampires, uh, they they d- disintegrate f- uh, either slowly or very rapidly, depending on how long they've been dead. Mm. And he says it's also effective using stakes to kill the living vampires, the people who are sort of infected but not dead yet, yeah. um, because they die just as easily f- through simple hemorrhage. Mm. And when he uses that phrase, she sort of, winces yeah and as 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 if that's some kind of something disgusting to say yeah um as if you were describing killing a you know perfectly healthy person through simple hemorrhage yeah yeah and well and you know from her perspective there's justification in that i mean Mm. as as we subsequently find out right you know sure Yeah. yeah uh chapter 18 and he uh he wakes up in the middle of the night and I think this is the point where I really start to think maybe there is something in it with, with his suspicions, actually, mm. where he wakes up and she's standing by the door fully dressed. Um, yeah. Almost, um, I mean, it's pretty much almost like her hands on the latch opening the door. <laughs> and she's like, um, just checking the doors nice and secure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that looks secure. <laughs> it's like it, it's a great horror movie cliche and like a date movie cliche as well, isn't it? Like somebody sneaking yeah. out after the night, but with that yeah. kind of sprinkling of she might be a vampire on it. Tell you what, you can make a you can make make a, a horror comedy out of this, and it absolutely kill. <laughs> yeah, and the thing that's um, that's hitting. Uh, Neville's bullshit monitor with this and he keeps asking the question when she's making the excuse to say oh I just couldn't sleep he keeps saying why are you fully dressed yeah why, why are you dressed like you're just about to go outside yeah. if you're is, not is it because you're outside? about to go outside because I think that's quite <laughs> suspicious yeah and I suppose the only way you can explain that away and he explains it away because she says oh why would I want to go outside you know th- th- there's loads of vampires out there it'd be suicide and I suppose he could, he could believe her outright with that excuse. And even if we don't, as the reader, we could also think, well, just a chapter ago, she seemed suicidal, so maybe she's still suicidal. Yeah, and she's just right. covering for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and again, great writing, you know, because you just don't know. Yeah, and there's this whole conversation that they have where they they now embrace and end up kissing. Uh, and there's this sort of really almost predi- kind of predictable scene of was, two survivors coming together. I was going to ask you about that. Um, mm. What did you make of that? Uh, the first time I read it, it was a, felt a bit forced. Yeah. And I liked it better the second time because 
you can read the whole conversation as two meanings. So when it when he's talking about how he has to, how you know he wishes we weren't like we are and things like that, mm. she's she's saying things to him which he's interpreting a completely different way, and yeah. she's actually being almost completely honest at this point as to who she is. Yeah, but it's um, just flying but right she, over but his in head. such a way. Yeah, in such a way that he just still doesn't understand what what she means by what she's saying. So yeah. I liked it more the second time, but still, it felt. I didn't feel there was enough emotional groundwork in the relationship between these two for them to suddenly become the way they did. Yeah, it felt a bit Hollywood to me, which is which is interesting because so much of the rest of this has felt really like incredibly fresh, mm. despite being kind of the like the origin piece of most of of a lot of like twentieth century vampire fiction, right? Mm. Despite that. Yeah it still felt very fresh and then there's this moment which just feels like the, the, you can almost hear the executive going put a love scene in it I don't want to put a, she might be a vampire for fuck's sake there's nothing I'm about to jump in bed I don't care put a love scene in it everybody loves that shit <laughs> you, you know like it's just it's it's kind of it's quite transparent to me but then yeah. actually I went looking um, at uh, at uh, Richard Matheson's like biography and he wrote in Hollywood for years and years and years. This was I think this was the first novel he wrote that really did well. But he wrote mm. he wrote like old like some of the real classic like um Twilight Zone episodes and stuff. Oh cool. Um yeah, so I mean he was a real um he was a real uh, real Hollywood kind of screenwriter guy. Wrote the wrote the first script that Steven Spielberg ever directed as a film that sort of thing. So, so to that extent, you can't really be terribly surprised. Um, sure, sure. Uh, that that that's that that's where he went. But you know, hmm. so Ruth agrees to take this blood test, and we have this next passage where they're in the in the lab- laboratory, and of course, Robert looks at uh, takes a bit of her blood, looks at it under the microscope, and as he realizes that she is in fact infected mm. I've just got in my notes here conk she just <laughs> conks him over the head with a that's a, that's a very, a mallet that's a very sort of, out. you know pl- softly onomatopoetic way of saying I think the word that Matheson uses is splinter like it's yeah. you can like it's a wooden mallet that hits him in the head yeah um, yeah and you think that this is this is sort of a moment of it. it's the betrayal and then what does this mean? How? Yeah, you know, is is, is he finished? Is yeah, this, is well, it, is it all exactly. Over? And there's a bit of you, isn't there, that kind of goes, "How's he going to get out of this?" Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's one of those. If this was on the like a, a TV series, that'd be the sort of sudden cut to black as the mallet comes down, and then it's credits till next week. You're like, "Oh no, <laughs> what's going to happen?" <laughs> Luckily, in the book, you can just turn the page and carry on. So that's what we did. Absolutely. Uh, yes. So chapter, yeah, well, chapter I, 19. I, by the way, so, unlike two other points in this book so far where it has been a spectacular cliffhanger and we've had to wait till next week. It's not <laughs> cool, Matt. It's not cool. <laughs> well, chapter 19, uh, he comes comes round, he wakes up, and there's this let there's this letter on the it's basically a vampire dear John letter on the uh on the table from Ruth, basically confessing, saying she is infected. And she's a, this blows it wide open and brings in a whole other element. She's in fact a spy, um, working with a group of people who it seems that the people who are infected, so the ones who are 
sort of lying just in their beds waiting to turn into fully fledged vampires yeah. um, are actually uh, surviving and coming together as a group and have sort of have tried to f- track him down because he's a threat and yeah. he when he reads this he thinks about it and he he decides that it must be that the bacteria is mutated and that's causing them to you know these people to to actually turn into something i suppose slightly different than monsters what he origi- what he believed before yeah well oh, interesting isn't it really like mm. because well because is this is as the book finally just you know at the very death taking a, a a handbrake turn into being about like a really adult version of x-men like <laughs> this is the next stage of human evolution because that's that's what it ends up being right like mm. uh yeah. neville's the last last kind of homo sapiens left and and all these other people anyway you call like homo sapiens bloodsuckerus whatever <laughs> um uh like yeah, like they become this. They kind of, you know, they they out evolve him in a sense. Hmm. Um, so I just like of all the places, I wasn't expecting it to go. Yeah, and and Ruth tells him to. She says you should leave as soon as you can because uh, the you know my people are going to come for you at some point. And it seems to be there are there are three distinct groups here. Then so there's Robert Neville, the effectively the last surviving human. Mm. And then there are the dead vampires, which are effectively monsters, and these these human vampires, which seem to be something slightly different because they they still have more of a um, I don't know more of a I I struggled a bit with this one trying to work it out. I think it's they've they've mutated into something different, and when we're back, sort of months and almost years ago at the start of the book, when Neville's defending himself from zombies he, he describes as a combination of the living and the dead ones outside so i it, it suggests to me that they're sort of becoming more human again after becoming just feral blood-sucking vampires at the start is that the impression you got uh, interesting no it wasn't I, I i feel like because at the as we move towards the end we have this are we ready to move on to this yet the like the the, the fall of robert neville yeah i mean like, chapter 20 is effectively this attack where he gets uh, he gets his door burst open and these people take him away. That last bit, I think, is supposed to be a satire. I think there's a, that's a satire on, like, warlike man because it, it describes them as being, like, ruthless killers who are praised for it and they're young and why wouldn't they enjoy it? And that's a great, mm. that's a great explanation of how armies get their soldiers, basically, isn't it? Um, mm. You know, like, uh, young, young men who want to do something significant and who aren't, aren't afraid of killing to do it um and and i think there's a there's a satirical piece in there well i don't think they're evolving past the kind of uh that violence i think it's just he's saying actually humans have always been this way they're just becoming they're just they're just you know or they're organizing their violence rather than just letting Mm -hmm. it run rampant and to that extent they're just kind of as vampires catching up to where humans have been for several centuries hmm yeah, good point. So, so let's look at that chapter then. So, chapter twenty is this attack on Robert's uh, Neville's uh, fortress, if you like. He is outside. Wait, he's basically at first 
waiting for them to come for him. He expects to be taken into custody, almost you know, be arrested, like mm. the police turning up. Yeah. And when they do turn up, it's something altogether different. They, 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 these figures rush out. So there are spotlights everywhere. They're killing these the, the dead vampires mercilessly left right and center he actually sees he, he calls it methodical butchery mm. and he sees ben cortman killed yeah uh and ben sort of scrambling up his roof trying to get back to his chimney which it turns out is where he's been hiding all this time and never realizes yeah. finally at the end yeah neville's like and oh shit the chimney yeah there's this real sense of sad. It's almost like Platoon, where the guy gets yeah. like on his knees at the end. Yeah, it it is absolutely that, isn't it? Yeah, you're invited to feel real sadness for this vampire, aren't you? Yeah. Well, and I think that's. And again, I mean, I think there's something there's kind of satirically compassionate in the way that Matheson writes the last little bit of this story, and and that's part of it, isn't it? That we're invited to feel sorry for the vampire who's dying and who who's been the basically the primary antagonist all the way through. Mm. Um, and he dies, and actually you do. Ultimately, you feel a bit sort of like, oh, that's sad. Yeah, and it, the 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 assault on his house ends in this this violent, uh, very short gun sort of shootout. Yeah, where Ro- uh, Neville shoots one of the assailants, and he gets shot himself in the chest and passes out again. Yeah. There's a lot of passing out towards the end of the book. Yeah, I noticed and- that. Like, okay, and curtains, <laughs> um, which makes me wonder. Could you could you have a good time like making this as like a stage play? Like can you imagine trying to do like, you know, zombies assailing a house or vampires assailing a house on the stage? Cuz it does seem to me a little mm. bit like kind of and blackout next scene. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it could work. <laughs> you could do um, it as panto, couldn't you? Can you imagine? He's behind <laughs> you. I know. <laughs> no, what all the audience would have to shout is, "Come out, Neville!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. it would be a sort of quite a limited uh, audience audience interaction possibility there, but I think people would get really into it. <laughs> so the, the final chapter, chapter twenty-one, and Robert Neville awakes once again. This time he's. Uh, in a, he's basically in a cell, uh, or, or sort of a. I think he's being, he's having some kind of medical treatment, but he's in a cell, mm. uh, effectively awaiting his own execution now. Yeah. And Ruth appears once again. It turns out she's uh, fairly high up in this new society, yeah. and she has a few final words with him to tell him his fate. Yeah. And uh, and actually slips him some suicide pills to say uh, this might make it easier on you because. Yeah. Everybody else wants you to die very publicly and quite horribly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really interesting. I have very, very strong kind of sense of this being like... Like, honestly, the the vibe that was created in these last few scenes in the cell, it was like Nuremberg, isn't it? It's like you've got this mm. this infamous criminal, you know, this this there's nothing to love in this bloke guy. Yeah, this monster. Yeah. yeah, this monster, absolutely. From the perspective of these vampires, he's an absolute monster. And um and you know, he's being treated that way. And actually I, I may be misremembering, didn't that happen with um was it Goering or Goebbels? Thank you. He took uh, a suicide pill the night before he was going to get hung. I think it's Ger- I think Goering did that. Yeah. Um mm. I mean, exactly the same thing, right? Somebody slipped him a suicide pill out of some sort of compassion. And, mm. you know, while I'm not saying that that was 
that, that, that you know, he was just misunderstood. He wasn't. Um, but, you know, as a, as a storytelling thing uh, that Richard Matheson's doing, I think it's great because it just, like, it totally flips around the whole, you know, these are evil monsters and you've just got to kill them thing, which is the way that most zombie and vampire horror stories kind of pay their bills. Hmm. Yeah. And it's it's this whole this whole flip of uh turning uh Robert Neville, who's been our sort of I suppose our reluctant hero through the book, even though he's obviously got serious problems. Mm. He's um he's the he's the last hope of humanity, if you like, and it's taken this this shape, this this form of this solitary guy who's trying to keep his sanity um despite having no contact with anybody else and no hope mm. and suddenly yeah he becomes the monster depending on which way you look because and they say you know when uh, ruth says to him they mean to execute you even though you're wounded they have to the people have been out there all night waiting they're terrified of you they hate you they want your life yeah and and it's this sudden realization and he looks out and sees all these people milling about outside all, the, all these vampires mm. um and he has been their monster he's been this He's been this presence that this this creature that's been when they're sleeping, murdering a load of them in the beds and disappearing again. So yeah. they've been. You get this sense of a, a community desperately trying to hunt this 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 monster down before he kills any more people. Even says that he he killed Ruth's husband. Yeah, I mean, and that's and at that point you start to go ooh, and and you want to go back and read their whole interaction again. Because the mm. first time through you read it, you're just, you, you know, your questions are Neville's questions. Like, who the fuck is this? Am I about to die? You know. Mm. And then you want to go back and read it all again, trying to read her words, like you say. And, you know, see the kind of double meaning that must have been in her interaction with him. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I just love the the idea of the question that it poses and the invitation it gives you as a reader to to flip it on its head and to so when he's killing vampires to think oh well yeah but what about if the vampire you know you could you could have it from a different point of view if the vampires were if you're from a vampire perspective he's the monster in the Mm. same way i suppose in chapter 20 when these living vampires come for him Mm. and kill all the dead ones who are you know clearly just monsters yeah, you, yeah you're invited to feel a sadness for them as well yeah uh, and you think the way that it's being done isn't quite right and and i think robert neville says doesn't he it, surely there's a more humane way to do it when they're asleep in the in the daytime yeah as if they don't feel any pain yeah rather rather than rather than having them die violently and uh, and horribly while they're sort of with it and a lot and yeah. sort of and, and feeling <clears throat> but it's so, which raises an interesting question as well doesn't it because you're a bit like okay so the vampires you know on the one hand we're being invited to consider the vampires as functioning human beings in a sense you know whose viciousness mm. just parallels the viciousness um of a human being trying to survive and you know mm. actually nobody's any better than that um but it then goes another level doesn't it because she's she's kind of she's dismissive of the worth of the actual dead vampires and i kind of feel mm. a little bit like there's a i, I don't know if that was inter- intentionally satirical but you know this kind of like even the people who are like um who are a kind of you know no you shouldn't you know you are wronging us you are wronging us 
still mm. themselves have their prejudices. And, you know, yeah. the, you know, surely the sequel is the last vampire in the world being overrun by all the dead ones because eventually everybody dies, right? You know, living vampires are just waiting to die from this infection. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting little little thing. Yeah, I suppose the the flip argument of that is that she would say, you know, um, the problem that the, the, the mistake Robert Neville's made is, you know, they're dead we're sick yeah how dare you and, treat us as though we're the same yeah yeah interesting yeah and it's it's funny it's, 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 this is the kind of thing that's often touched on in in a lot of horrors like zombie fiction if you like as well um <clears throat> things like in a zombie apocalypse when somebody's bitten do you just kill them because they're effectively a zombie now but mm. they're still alive they're just waiting to die they're just sick yeah and and the the, the you know, coldly uh, utilitarian way of approaching that is well they die they're going to die soon eventually they'll turn to a zombie yeah. you may as well just do it now and finish it and isn't it interesting the way zombie movies mostly just totally skirt around that and just by having somebody turn into a zombie really quickly like mm. just long enough that there's tension and and you know somebody has to mourn the death of their mum or whatever but ultimately they're going to get shot in the face before there's the next before there's a change of scene <laughs> and you know that and that's the thing that kind of I think robs the genre of a bit of its power whereas this manages to maintain all of its power because by doing all these things in just a slightly different way mm-hmm and the big end, the end to the book, the final three words of the book are the, the book's title. As he takes these pills to end his own life, Robert Neville, he looks out and he realises that he is he is their monster. And uh, he he says, I, I am legend. And he, I, I think, I think you'll find that he does not, in fact, just say, I am legend in a very, very downbeat voice because two episodes ago I gave it my full on Mexican wrestler ridiculousness. I am legend impression invited you to do the same. And you were like, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Probably do that in the last episode. Well, here we are. So I invite you to see, give it your I don't best think shot. He, I don't think he roars this defiantly. I think it's more sort of a, 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 a sort of gravelly voiced recognition and there's, there's defiance but recognition in there as well it's more sort of a I am legend <laughs> oh, oh actually I can do better, better I am legend yes and then, it, and then the camera zooms <laughs> right in on his pupil as it dilates because he's just <laughs> taking the pill yes absolutely all right, I, I quite like it if he suddenly just like all the tension dropped away from him and he turns out to have been a really whimsical character all the way through. He just went, I am legend. <laughs> I'm legend, yeah. me. Yeah. Or pretty much the way I read it um, in my lame <laughs> version of it, just, just, just before you came in and, and helped me to account for this, he just went, oh, I'm legend. <laughs> well, but, who'd have bloody thought that? Book's named after me. Fucking hell. Oh, I'm, I'm legend. I, I, am I legend? I'm, yeah, he's dyslexic. <laughs> I just love the idea of him being really self-effacing. Just like, sort of like, is it me? Am I legend? <laughs> I, like the, I like the idea of him. He's having that three words to say as his last words. And he, and he just goes, am I legend? 
no no wait shit and then that's it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no wait <laughs> <laughs> oh dear it's like uh, it's like Neil Armstrong like flubbing his lines on the way down to the down to the moon surface that's yeah. one small yeah. step for man shit I'm live on TV. I can't do it again. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, that is the that is the final the final sentence of the book, and I get the feeling you enjoyed this one, Dave. I, I did very much, and I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, like I said at the start, you might not know it from kind of what we've done on Charlie Royal, because I'm always trying to sort of do new stuff and and you know kind of expand my horizons. But generally speaking, horror fiction I find a little bit meh. Um, but this was extraordinarily powerful in like two or three individual sequences where it just like, you can tell this is a guy who really knows his stuff. Like he's a writer's writer and it's just put the hours into doing things in it in as kind of brutally effective way as possible. Mm. Um, uh, and he really knows how to do it and he doesn't pull any of his punches and it's great. Um, uh, but, not only in those little sequences, but as a whole, the whole book never feels like a cliche, which is amazing. There's a man, he's the last man on earth, he's hiding in a house, there are supernatural beings outside which have something to do with death, and they're trying to kill him, and he doesn't know what to do. And that, like, you know, geez, pass me the Horlicks. But as it turns <laughs> out, like, he manages to make it all incredibly fresh. I think that's just, just mm. an absolutely amazing achievement, I really do. What did you think of it? Sp- yeah, especially for a book written so long ago as well. Yeah, right. In fifty-four, fifty-six. What the hell have the writers? Of, ah, no, I was going to say, what have the writers of horror fiction been doing since then? But that's not true. There are good examples of this, obviously, and there are good writers working in the genre. But this manages to stay free of cliche in a way that most other most other horror genre writing doesn't. Yeah, the uh, there have there have been a few adaptations of this book. Um, Including, I think one of the more famous ones is is it Omega Man by yeah. uh, with with is it Charlton Heston in that? I, I believe it was because because nothing says end of the world like Charlton Heston. Oh fighting, yeah, fighting yeah. vampires. Yeah, um, I think one called The Last Man on Earth as well. But the most recent adaptation was, uh, well, I think, was I Am Legend. It was called I Am Legend, and that was a. Uh, uh, I think two thousand and like mid two thousands film with Will Smith in it. Yeah, and this is th- this was very much the sort of Hollywood does this book, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed that film as well, but in ve- for very different reasons than I enjoyed the book. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought it was a well put together example of how Hollywood tells a story. Um, hmm. And and it did it very well, but I mean, it missed out on basically all the undertone. Um, it was interesting the way that they they shot the film had him meeting somebody, but actually she turns out not to be a vampire; she just turns out to be a normal person, and that's really great. Um, mm. And uh, you know, um, like you said before, he's already a total scientific genius, which for me kind of robbed the film of one of my favourite bits. It explains why he's doing all this science, but actually I loved the fact that there was just this Joe Schmo deciding to become an mm. expert scientist in order to, you know, in order to survive. Like, that was yeah, like, I, a thriller out of the scientific method, honestly. I said it last time as well. 
brilliant absolutely brilliant and the, and the interesting thing with that is as much as anything it's not really to find a cure or to save himself because he knows enough already intuitively to protect himself it's basically to fill the hours to stop him going insane yeah he basically he basically researches the whole thing yeah because what else are you going to do with your time absolutely yeah 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 and 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 really true to the character really true to the situation and you know really enriched the whole scenario i think it was great mm. The the film for me, I am Legend film. I thought it, it what it did very well was um, in, in capturing from the book was the solid the loneliness and uh, solitude of of being the last the last surviving person. Really? Because he's got a dog yeah, all the I way through. Was... He's got a mate. Well, he does until until the dog dies. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true, and that obviously that <laughs> place is a great spoiler tragedy. alert. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry if you haven't if you haven't seen the film. <laughs> Well, but no, we said that last time as well, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but that's the thing, though, isn't it? Like in the in the in the movie, it's played as this like bereavement, and I get mm. you know there's mileage in doing that since they didn't do the thing with like you know they, they didn't do the thing with burning his daughter and trying to bury his wife and having her come back and all of that. You didn't have all of that in the movie, so mm. I mean it makes sense that you want to have a moment of bereavement. But actually, I thought the dog thing in the book was much more sort of on point for the theme that the tone of the book because it's just mm. just like just absolutely merciless just yeah it is the it dog is. died and you're just like yeah, all the way through that chapter i was waiting for them to become friends and i was thinking this is where it goes this is where it oh all right mm. and that's the end of it and i think that's much closer to what the book is about you know this like totally implacable doom um, mm. Which is much cooler than you know. Will Smith saves the world. Yeah, I suppose the bit I liked in the film with the uh, uh, the lonely. I think it was the mixture of the. Uh, it's more about what it's like if you were just you had no one else to talk to, and it was just you, the last person alive. Mm. In that, there's a mixture of loneliness and solitude, and this borderline insanity, which you see through the through the book and the the standout scene for me in the film is there's a bit where he he kind of talks to a load of uh dummies um he's he's positioned a lot of dummies around the town to speak to just to stop himself going crazy which in effect is making him a bit crazy (laughs) and then a bit later on a bit later on one of the dummies has moved and it turns up in a different part of the city and he starts shouting at it going mental saying what you're doing move and because obviously there's a mixture of terror because it, he knows it's an inanimate object and it's moved. Yeah. And I think it, it turns out it's one of the vampires fucking with him. Yeah. But um, but when you're watching that, because because he's a bit crazy, you're thinking he could have moved it. Is he going insane? And that's yeah. obviously what he's thinking. Yeah. And that's why he's so upset and he's shouting at it. And I thought that kind of stuff in the film really captured the the mixture of crushing loneliness and this just just behind the curtain insanity which he's trying to deal with i thought that i thought the film did that very well yeah yeah actually i agree with that um yeah i think that that there was well there was that thread running through it i wouldn't say that was a major part of the experience i think you could easily watch it and not say anything about will smith looking crazy which is of course Mm. what you have to do when you're writing a writing a script for a star you know you've got you've got to give him those character moments in a way where they're there to be seen but he doesn't just look batshit mental because nobody goes to see Will Smith <laughs> yeah. looking batshit mental. Um, yeah. But um, I tell you what, I mean, the other thing about the film, isn't it, is that it has, well, it has two different endings, neither of which are the ending of the book. Mm. Um, yeah. 
And um, I don't know what you thought about those now that having read the book as well, like what your opinion was of all those different, those three different things. Hmm. Yeah, so so the, the film version has basically, it, it doesn't try to ask, to sort of, it doesn't even try to go near this question of, the, um, real, it really it doesn't really delve into the question of who's the monster. There's never a question of whether Will Smith's the monster in it, but it, it does try and humanize the the vampires slightly. But they're more just simple monsters in the film, aren't they? Yeah. And uh, the, the two endings you have is he's he's barricaded. He's sort of stuck back to the wall in his laboratory as all the vampires come running in to finish him off, mm. and he on in i think in one version i can't remember which one ended up actually going to the cinema in one version he kills himself and all the vampires to save to help the 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 woman escape Mm. and another version he's about to do that and he realizes that the vampires are just looking for a cure and and they end up letting him out effectively Mm. i don't think either of them were nearly as effective as the book but having said that, I can understand why Hollywood would look at the ending of that book and decide it won't work as a Hollywood film. Yeah, uh, and I think that's... I, do, I think they did kind of lowball it in the scene where they tried to make the vampires kind of uh, sympathetic. Um, I think it was, mm. it was, I much preferred that ending to the actual theatrical ending, which was just like, yeah, motherfuckers, and then running out the door, right? Mm. Um, uh, but... I still think it didn't play very well in the film because I watched the alternative, the alternate ending at the end of having watched the other ending. And I, for a lot of it, I was just like, what? Hmm. What? Because it's quite a subtle little trick they use to kind of make it, make it clear that one of the, one of the, um, one of the vampires really wants to get this woman back because she's got, a, hmm. she's got a butterfly tattoo and he draws a butterfly on the window. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. and it was like, I mean, I can almost see them sitting around the table scratching their heads going, how the fuck do we get this thing to communicate <laughs> tender love for this other thing on a slab? I mean, yeah. fuck. Like, you can really... I'm, and I feel their pain there to a certain extent. It's really difficult to do. Um, yeah. But um, but I don't think they really nailed it. And this is much better. Obviously, it's much bleaker. Nobody walks out of the cinema feeling good about this ending, which is why they didn't film it. But... Mm. I think <clears throat> I think uh, the theatrical ending was actually better for me, oh, really? uh, where it's just an explosion. Yeah, because I think like with the the vampires are, aren't really monsters. Really, you need to nail that for it to work. And if you don't, it's just sort of what? Yeah, really. And and I think if if you can't nail it, then just then don't have the it. vampires as monsters and yeah. have a, this moment of sa- sacrifice at the end. And what I liked about that version is that there's a moment then which you can read as sort of these vampires are trying to break him and he's shouting, I just want to help you. And then the, this vampire looks through the glass at him and all you see is just I- insane hatred directed at Will Smith. And it's that sudden realization of complete hopelessness mm. that you can't reason here and it's and i suppose that captures a bit from the book of that just hopelessness of the situation yes yeah that's true i agree in that if you're if the, since the whole tone of the film is you know kind of like oh 
a particularly bleak version of this, but it's still pretty much fairly standard Hollywood story arc, and there will be explosions, and there will be peril, and there will be a romance in there, you know, etc. At the end of it, to try and turn it back into a kind of searing, hard-hitting expose of human hypocrisy and violence would have been a bit rich. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, cool. Okay. Well, shall we... Uh, so did you prefer... I check it, you preferred the book to the film, then? Uh, yeah, the, the film was re... I wasn't sad that I'd watched it. I, I don't believe mm. I'll ever watch it again in my life. You know, that, mm. that's the name of it. Um, whereas, uh, whereas the book... I was genuinely impressed with. I still don't think I'll read it again anytime soon, but mm-hmm. I will. It will always be in the back of my head as like if I come across it on the bookshelf, I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that was really good." Um, mm. But as I say, horror fiction isn't you know isn't what I go to horror what I go to fiction for generally. So you know, mm-hmm. so I probably won't. Right. Shall we find out what other people thought of the book? I would love to hear what other people have thought about the book. Got a col- collection of uh, reviews. Some starred, some not. Please tell me that um, some people wrote a review of the book as though it starred Will Smith. And that bit at uh, the end no. where they couldn't even decide <laughs> what the ending was. Fuck them. <laughs> no, although a lot of the reviews I came across often fell into one of two categories. A, the film was way better, and B, the book was way better. And I've tried to keep both of those out of our collection of reviews because <laughs> they, they, they don't really add much, do they? That, that, is, uh, mm. that is noble of you, I think. <laughs> okay, well, let's get into the reviews. Um, we're going to start with a really serious one, actually. The rest are a bit, um, aren't quite as heavy as this one, but Sal gave it two stars. And uh, she said, the rape vibe I got from the main character wrecked this book. Mm. At one point, he even talks about how raping a woman was beyond him now. It wasn't before, and this is an acceptable trait. Just, ugh. Fair point. Um, <laughs> mm. um. Yeah, I mean, it's this... I suppose this builds into a, a, the greater arguments of whether you believe... You know, people are born rapists and monsters, or whether certain sets of circumstances can push people one way or another. Mm. Um, either way, trying to trying to write a character who can honestly believe raping a woman is now beyond him, mm. uh, which suggests wasn't before, is is a very hard sell, isn't it? Even I suppose even the, the sort of the, the given it given even accepting the time when it was written. Um, it's one of those ones you can either say is a, it's either brave of the writer for going there and and actually trying and discussing it, mm. or or crushingly insensitive. And it's probably one of the areas that, as we've said before, with these these kind of topics, are quite hard for two guys to discuss. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, as ever, and so my voice in this is obviously and and rightly the least prominent. Um, for what it's worth, I think I think there's a difference between fictional characters who are supposed to present you with like desirable behaviour and fictional characters who are just supposed to examine the darkness of mankind. And I think Robert Neville is definitely mm. that. Like there's not a moment in the book where he isn't basically insane one way or another. And mm. um and I think it's in in many ways it's supposed to be a study of that. Like I think for me I think there is a difference to be drawn between fictional characters and fairy tale characters who you're always supposed to either unequivocally like or unequivocally despise. 
Mm. Um, and sometimes characters are supposed to present human complexity, which is not to say that human complexity itself leads to acceptable situations. All of that said, it's a completely valid argument. You know, like I think, mm. he, he, you know, you could you could say all of those things and still say, yeah, but it's fucked up that he reckoned he was once capable of raping a woman. And that's absolutely true. That is fucked up. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think it's perfectly reasonable to object to that. Uh, Tony gave it a five stars. He says, uh, the book I Am Legend combines two of my favourite things, some sort of apocalypse and vampires. Just from the cover of the book, I could tell it was going to be a good one, <laughs> which I love. I love how he very much did judge a book by its cover. <laughs> <laughs> it, takes, it takes guts to be someone who actually says that, who actually, you know what? I did judge it on its cover and it worked out marvellously for me, actually. Fuck yeah. the lot of you. Um, he says, it's Robert Neville versus a world full of bloodthirsty vampires. He includes killing them with garlic, sunlight, and wooden stakes. It's the whole package. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's what you were look, I mean, if you're that big a fan of, uh, of vampire fiction, that the moment somebody gets the, the garlic out, you go, put a fork in it, it's oh, done. Yeah. Oh, yes. This is already a masterpiece. You don't need to say anything else. Just write the word garlic and steaks over and over and over again for the next 200 pages, and this will be the Booker Prize winner of this year. <laughs> I just love the idea of Tony reading it, and he gets to the part where he's with the garlic, and then he gets to the part where he's about to sharpen the steaks, and he's just Tony's just reading it going, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> more <laughs> more garlic more steaks <laughs> suddenly I'm hungry for some reason a <laughs> uh, friend of the podcast Max uh, he he didn't uh, give it an, a, a star rating but he did say that he uh, read it recently for the first time and really enjoyed it uh, he, he loved the relationship between the main character and Ben Cortman, the neighbour. <laughs> he said he thought it was hilarious. That's an absolutely excellent <laughs> shout. And it would be hilarious even if he doesn't drop in the fact that he looks like Oliver Hardy. But the fact that he drops that in as well just takes it into mm. like glorious slapstick territory. Imagine, imagine your best mate looking like Oliver Hardy. And presumably you've given him a hard time about this before he dies. And then he comes back trying to really creepily entice you out of your house into a horrible and bloody doom while still looking like Oliver Hardy. Like, that's comedy, <laughs> yeah. is what that is. I mean, it's funny, because it's a real... For me, the the, the Ben Cortman character is a real mixture of... Um, especially in the early stages, I felt outright horror, especially when he's running towards him, shouting his name, and yeah. shouting, come out, Neville, and all Never. this. Um, it's, yeah, it's this idea of uh, something wanting to kill you, which is a monster, but also has some kind of intelligence... Which is a uh, which is frightening, but then yeah, when when Neville stops seeing him as a threat, you kind of do as well. Yeah, and then he seems quite funny, and then at the end when he's killed, it's almost quite it's quite a tragic figure. And it's quite quite sad. So yeah, it is a really interesting character and part of the story. Ben Corman, really important as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max also says that uh, he he did feel one criticism was that uh, the the success that uh, Robert Neville had in researching the virus, considering he didn't really know anything about it and he wasn't a scientist, felt like a bit of a stretch. He was too successful and found it too easy, mm. um, which is a fair point. Yeah. I suppose uh, the it, it, it is it's slightly more plausible when you put it in the context of how long he's spending years researching this. But then I suppose you can have you can have, you could have a team of you know, a hundred scientists trying to research this stuff for years and they wouldn't get as far as he seems to do. So that's a fair point. Yeah, Although I did, I, did yeah. lo- 
did I did love that idea of him like that one scene where he, he goes out to to get a microscope to uh, to find out more about the disease and finds out he needs to find out more about microscopes to find out which one to get to yeah. find the microscope to find out more about the disease yeah. and just this constant one step at a time one step forward two steps back yeah 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 um, I, I i found that i definitely see that argument i quite liked it just because like i say just the sheer plaus- the the sheer balls of putting scientific method in as a plot device of a thriller section i just fucking loved it but um yeah i don't know maybe he's a, maybe he turns out to be unrealistically talented at uh at, mm. at science but yeah <laughs> uh we touched on last week this idea of uh the the media at the time making this crisis worse by whipping up the hysteria mm. about vampires yeah um and uh, max says that putting that in its time in the 50s when this was written um that was often used to explain ufo hysteria in in the mid 50s oh, how interesting so it's, yeah so it's so it's kind of not hard to draw yeah a, a sort, of, sort of where richard matheson took his inspiration for that idea yeah and you know what actually i think that's a really good argument max and i think that's kind of that's turned me around a little bit on the on the whole i was saying i don't i don't really think it's terribly realistic the way he's the way matheson has kind of you know the plot device here is that absolutely everybody suffers exactly the same psychosis but i suppose mm. you could imagine if you turn up the trauma high enough that back then that it seemed like people would and i think back then people did respond in a much more uniform way that's that's kind of how that's how advertising worked back then wasn't it you know you, you kind of created an average and sort of bumped mm. everybody towards it and people were just much more used to being part of large large demographics um, hmm. So yeah, I, that's quite plausible. I totally hadn't thought of the UFO thing. That's a great shout. Uh, yep, cheers for that, Max. Uh, Neil gave it five stars. He uh, he says it, um, it's a different slant on the vampire myth. It's all about the the character of the protagonist. Oh, goodness me, of the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> Prota- protagonist. Well done. It's because it's because he spells it wrong. <laughs> I'm going to blame you, Neil. <laughs> In your shoddy spelling of the word protagonist. <laughs> For making me For look shame. a damn fool. For shame. <laughs> Let me start this one again then. So Neil gives it five stars. He says, it's a different slant on the vampire myth. This is all about the character of the protagonist and not so much about the vampires until the closing pages, which literally left me stunned. A great book. <laughs> Did it fall on you from a shelf? <laughs> Don't. Um, a great book, and even more impressive that it was written 60 years ago and set in a future 1970s. That is a good point, that the, and we've, we touched on this last time, that it doesn't feel like it's someone 20 years before, you know, th- thinking about 20 years in the future coming out with these outlandish ideas which never come to pass. It's yeah. quite um, yeah. carefully written. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Are you ready for some one starers? I I was born ready for one star reviews, Matt. <laughs> I can almost see you salivating. <laughs> uh, it's terrible so, that this is my favourite bit, but it's, it really is. <laughs> Liz comes in with a classic put down here. She gave it one stars. She says, "I actually enjoyed the film more, and I hated the film." <laughs> oh, zing! See, this is why I love this crap, right? Is that it, it brings out the zing in people. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. So, Sarah gave it one star. 
She said, I got around 19% into this one. I love how she estimates 19%. It's either she was on her Kindle or she was so angry that she counted every individual page (laughs) just so she could put a percentage on how much of her time she had wasted. But if you're going to do that, why say around 19%? Around 19%. It was 19.4, but who's quibbling? (laughs) Anyway, Sarah says, I got around 19% into this one, and I just couldn't take it anymore. Nothing was happening. It was such a dry book. And then she adds, this was the April Clamhouse Book Club book. (laughs) And that's how the review ends. That's amazing. Do Do you think she wrote... Fuck you, April Clamhouse Book Club books. And then realised that it wasn't going to get past the moderators and then deleted it, but was just so full of despair that she couldn't come up with an end to the sentence or indeed a full stop. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'd like to offer my sincere apologies to everybody who didn't enjoy uh, Richard Matheson's I Am Legend, especially everybody from the April Clamhouse Book Club. There's something genius about calling a book club a clam house. Clam house, clams and books, a house for clams, they live under the sea, there are no houses down there, or books, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if that's some kind of restaurant somewhere where they hold a book club or something. What, what, they weren't selling enough clams, so they thought, tell you what we'll do, we'll get them in by getting them to read groundbreaking (laughs) works of of, uh, post-apocalyptic horror, (laughs) but they were were turning them away. (laughs) No, you get them in, and... uh, they read, they, read, they read about 19% of it and then they've got to stop because the clams are so good. <laughs> I read about 19% of this and then my clam chowder arrived, thankfully. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Gemma also gave it one star. Um, interesting uh, correlation here. All the one star is uh, are women. <laughs> a lot of the five stars are men. Yeah. This might be a guy's kind of book, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Gemma says... All this book does is confuse you with science jargon and the guy speaks to himself all the time and has rude thoughts about the vampire women. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's kind of a good summary of it up to the end of chapter two, I would say. I reckon Gemma got about 19% about 19% into it that's amazing (laughs) roughly 19% (laughs) yeah oh oh man well again um, yeah that's true he does talk to himself it's about it's a book about a man who talks to himself you know yeah if it's not working for you I mean as always if it's not working for you then fair enough but you know, clearly it wasn't a mistake that it did that, right? Like, you got to give a book a crack of the whip on its own terms, I suppose. I love the rude thoughts about vampire women. I think that's, that's really funny. Rude thoughts. About, uh, it's a very delicate way of putting it, isn't it? Is it, it is, thinking isn't it? naughty it things. Is. It's quite sweet, actually. We, I think we've successfully patronised Gemma to the uh, extent that she will uh, be sending me hate mail for the rest of my life should she come across um, it you know what you should do Matt is you should go wherever it is you get these things from and just start posting links to the podcast just so people can mm. listen to what we say about them and then people on the internet will hate us we, 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 we did take the, take the piss out of Neil as well for spelling protagonist wrong and and lit- use it he's Poor use of the word and, literally. And I, I hope so. I hope it's clear that above all else we are taking the piss out of ourselves as readers and our own responses to yeah. what are supposed to be masterpieces of world literature and we're sitting here basically scratching our asses and doing Beavis and Butthead on them. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to leave the final review to Carla, uh, who gave it five stars. Mm. And uh, she, she said, uh, this is a this classic is a must read. Probably the best apocalyptic novel I've read. Roberts is not one dimensional and his moments of near insanity are so realistic. You feel like you're watching somebody you may know. You understand his motives and feelings. He's not a cookie-cutter hero. He has his flaws, and that's more reason to like him. The conclusion of this book will leave you satisfied, but it'll also leave you wondering. It's thought-provoking, and the title will have an entirely different meaning once you've finished. Uh, well, that's good, because the, the I, title is not... This is something I was going to say before. The title itself doesn't make a great deal of sense until you reach the last page of the book. <laughs> Up to that point, you're like, you, you are legend in... You mean like as a collective noun, as an adjective? Are you you are a legend? No, you are legend itself. The concept of a story told from times past about what? <laughs> did you did you get that? Was it was it just me who had a kind of grammar geek, you know, OCD moment dealing with the title? It's a fair point. Um, yeah, I, I do think it's it, the the. It is a strange title, mm. um, but I, I do think Carl has got a point with that it does take on, once you've read the book, it becomes a better title. I agree with that, because before you've read the book, it's just a, what? Mm. It's not, like, intriguing, it's just, eh? Oh? <laughs> <laughs> that was the noise I made when yeah. I first heard that title, by the way. <laughs> well, look, that rounds off our coverage of... Uh, I Am Legend there it is. by Richard Matheson, which we thoroughly enjoyed, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, as, Cracking. As, as, did, as did many of the fellow reviewers, although obviously there were some exceptions. <laughs> um, so, so look, the, 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 the next book we're going to do, uh, we have yet to decide on, but we will later this week, and we'll send a tweet out on at Shark Liver Oil. If you have any suggestions of your own for books for us to cover, you can always send them in to us. Either tweet them to us at Shark Liver Oil, or uh, the email address is sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's also the place to send your uh, star reviews out of five stars uh, of each book that we do and just your general feedback. Send that to sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com as well. Yeah. It's this. It's come to this the time in the podcast, Dave, where I say to you, any sort of final words to round up the the book. I always enjoy doing this because it always kind of puts you on the spot. It always, even though I always think, ask you, you every after, time. What are we in now? Eighteen months <laughs> into doing this, you'd think I would be more practiced at thinking up something meaningful to say whenever you ask me that question. Mm. I, since I have not, however, I will continue the honourable tradition of making up whatever old bollocks comes out of my mouth and uh, trying to make it sound like it's plausible. Um, I liked it, obviously, um, and I thought it was fresh. very good. Yeah, excellent. Thanks. <laughs> and I thought I thought it was fresh. I thought it was, which is quite a trick uh, for a book made in the fifties. Um, and yeah, better than the film. Better than the film. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Well, how about you? I'm gonna I, let me let me flip reverse it, so to speak. <laughs> um, what's your uh, what was your take on it? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. One of the one of the best books uh, I've read on sort of getting across that feeling of uh, of isolation, uh, similar to sort of the sort of classic castaway books. You know, something like Robinson Crusoe. I think. I think it does it as well as that. Uh, this this feeling of of trying to deal with being the only person 
alive and you know and with nothing <laughs> to compare it to trying trying to decide i think i like that idea of trying to work out whether you're sane or whether you're making you know correct moral choices mm. um when you've no nothing to re you've only memories to compare it to mm. and you've nobody to check with to check that you're because he says uh, what's that there's a really good quote at the very end where he says a uh, normalcy is a majority concept yeah um which is obviously a very philosophical and there's two different ways to argue and you could say that's bollocks but um Mm. it is quite interesting especially if it comes i mean you could uh, yeah i'm not going to go into that but um (laughs) i like that i like that idea and uh i think the book plays with it very very well and it's much more much more impressive in the way it does it than the many other books that i've read that have tried to do it Mm -hmm. so Two thumbs up from Matt, that's what I'd say. There you go, there you go. There you go. Until next time. See you later. Yeah, and happy reading. I think, well, <laughs> I don't know what I'm reading yet, do I? I don't read outside of these podcasts, you know, you just, we just decide and then I finally, I, you know, work out how to read again and yeah. this isn't a strong ending for yeah. the podcast. I think Bye. we just end it with <laughs> happy reading. Happy reading. Oh, God.